Hello, friends, and welcome to Feed Learning People podcast, a podcast where fellow humans share their vulnerable moments and how they navigated sticky situations throughout their careers. We've all been there, so let's learn from each other. My name is Jesse, and today I'm here with Karen Weeks. It's so nice hey. to meet you. <laughs> Yay, Karen. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Um, I met you like before I moved out of New York and then came back. I think I met you like maybe 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while since I met you. And then uh, I think we met like at a Sherm yeah. event. Yeah, I remember that. And I think we both were part of like the learning and development committee. Mm-hmm. And then just from that time, I like, there's something about Karen. I, I like how she like represents herself. And I've always like followed you, kind of like <laughs> stalked you from a distance, Karen, on LinkedIn and everything. But uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you're a guest. And I'd love to kind of learn more about you and your career and, you know, all the good things that you're doing uh, for other people's careers, yeah. too. So... Uh, let's see. So let's go ahead and get straight to it, Karen. Can you scan your resume um, starting from wherever you want to start to where you are today? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's funny. You know, you meet so many people in life, but I do remember meeting you at that Sharm event. Oh, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so it's really funny how some people just sort of stick out. And you're right, uh-huh. like, especially with LinkedIn, stalking is the best. Uh, and it's always fun to kind of see what people are up to. Um, uh-huh. So so I started my career actually back in theater. Um, I was a stage mm-hmm. manager. I worked for a talent agency out in L.A. Um, I thought I wanted to do something in the arts because that was everything about me. I was like mm-hmm. that theater kid. And really, once it became my livelihood, it was really hard. So especially in my early 20s, not knowing when I was going to work again, where I was going to work, how long that gig was going to last, that was not for me. And then when I tried to the business side, the business side took all the creativity and the arts out of the arts for me. And so I said, Mm. well, that's not right. And so all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So Mm. after talking to a lot of people, I found HR. I really had the opportunity to, you know, create shared experiences, help people with their careers. You know, we all work way too much. And if we're not enjoying what we do, even when we just have to have a job, like to pay the Mm -hmm. rent, if there's not something about it that we enjoy, it can deplete so many other areas of our life. So over the last 20 years, I've worked for, I did one big company. It was a consulting firm that actually eventually got bought by Deloitte. That was not for me. Very smart people, very amazing people, but you know, having to wear nylons and suits and calling the owner Mr. <laughs> uh-huh. So-and-so like that's just oh, not wow. me. Very formal. Yeah, that's uh-huh. not me at all. So uh-huh. quickly realized that was not right. Um, and then found the tech space and startups specifically. And I absolutely fell in love with it. It's mm-hmm. fun for me anyway. It's fun to build something from scratch. I'm often one of the first HR people to join the team or help build the HR team after a couple people have joined. So yeah. I just love that space and that time within a company's maturity. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I've worked for a bunch of different companies, either as generalists or as training managers, ops, uh, you know, HR ops. And then currently I'm the head of people for a company called Order Groove. We are a SaaS technology platform working with retailers to build recurring revenue. Um, Mm -hmm. So like subscription programs and that kind of stuff. And then over the last couple of years, I started a side coaching business as well to specifically help other people with their careers. Mm -hmm. 
Very cool. And what's that? What's your side coaching business called? It is very creative. It's KDW Coaching. Oh, KDW. <laughs> I wonder who that is. Yeah. I wonder who that is. Hey, you well, know, that's... stick with the basics. <laughs> yeah. People will remember that, yes. the basics. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like the, the natural like, creativity side of you, when you started out in the arts, you were able to eventually find it in HR, being yeah. able to build processes or build teams and organizations, HR organization and startups. So that's awesome there. Um, So I want to learn more about what you do and why you do what you do, Karen. So um, you said you started your own side coaching business. Why did you decide to do that? Uh, Especially you have a (laughs) full-time job right now too. Like, don't you want to work less, Karen? (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) Uh, Well, it's really funny. It started a couple of years ago, just totally opportunistically, you know, Mm -hmm. met um, some companies that were looking for some coaches. It was an opportunity for me to help people outside of sort of like my day-to-day circle. And at the end of the day, I just want to help people. And so by coaching on the side, if that gives me a chance to help more people, that's obviously a a Mm -hmm. great benefit for me. And then quite honestly, COVID hit and I thought that was going to shut everything down, but it actually inspired more people to think about their careers. Mm -hmm. Either they were laid off and they were sort of forced to reflect, but they weren't just rushing to get another job. They used it as a moment to say, what do I actually want to be doing? Like, do I want to go back to what I was doing or is this a moment for me to make a change? Or other people just because life was so upside down that tends to cause people to think about what's important to them. Mm -hmm. And if they're not enjoying what they're doing or they're feeling plateaued or or any of the emotions that go with sort of feeling stuck in your career, it actually made them want to use the time to think about it more specifically and more strategically. So the opportunity presented itself. I leaned into it a lot more. Other people were leaning into it a lot more. Totally, again, opportunistically, I met a business coach who specifically helps people build out side businesses and how to balance Mm -hmm. all of it. So I started working with her and now I'm very purposeful. I've created packages and programs Mm -hmm. to work with people to really help them navigate their careers. Awesome. Awesome. You're helping them and then you're also doing it on your own too. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. I I recently listened to a podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to Work Life by Adam Grant, but he talked about like career turbulence and like now is the time when there's a lot of people with self-reflecting on, do they want to push against that turbulence and like continue finding that same industry and job they're looking for or do they want to pivot and whatnot? So we're going to talk more about coaching a bit too. Um, So what, what are the different types of coaches are out there. So I, I'm, I'm very familiar with like career coaches or like presentation skills coaches or um, what would you say are the different types of coaches that people can find out there? Yeah, I think there's probably a coach for every area of your life. And so, <laughs> okay. you know, there's like financial coaches, there's mm-hmm. wellness coaches, there's um, life coaches. Um, I even met someone who's trying to be like a friendship and relationship coach to mm-hmm. help people mm-hmm. build stronger relationships in their lives. Uh. Um, and so really the goal is for a coach, how can we help assess where you want to go? So a lot of people ask like coaching versus therapy. First of all, therapy is obviously like a medical field or, uh, you know, a very specific certification program if, if they're more social workers, but it's a very specific practice where you look back and try to figure out how that's gotten to you to where you are today. Mm-hmm. Coaches tend to say, where are you today? Why are you where you are? So there's some you know reflection of the past for mm-hmm. sure. But then where are you trying to go and how can we help you get to where you're trying to go? 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and while you were naming the different types of coaches, I remember there was one time I was networking and I actually met a coach who is like a love doctor. That oh my helped, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that helps you find, that helps you find a partner and like dress up oh, wow. uh, and, and like look a, a, a presentable and all oh that stuff. Oh my gosh. So I found that funny. <laughs> okay. So going back to like coaches, what are some signs that would signify, hey, I, I should find a coach for myself. Yeah. I think it's really when you are trying to navigate something in your life and you need some outside perspective and outside partnership. So hopefully people have people in their life that love them and support them and champion them and you know want them to be successful. But when they're in your life, they come with their own perspective. They come with their own thoughts because they're in your life and they care about you mm-hmm. and and have their you know own sort of Agenda might be too harsh of a word because it may be a positive agenda, but you know, they're here for you because they love you. Yeah. A coach is really just an objective partner. Mm-hmm. I am here mm-hmm. to help you figure out what you're trying to achieve, the best path to get there. I'm going to ask you some hard questions and put you, push you outside your comfort zone, but in a very supportive way because it's all about trying to get you to your goal. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. also will hear things that other people may not because I don't know you. I mean, I know you like from a coaching relationship standpoint, but I don't go home with you. I don't Mm -hmm, have dinner mm -hmm. with you. So I may hear things that you're saying that you don't realize you're hearing or excuse me, that you're saying, or honestly, other people may not realize you're saying it. Um, So I think it's the objectivity, but also the sort of accountability, motivation, cheerleader, Mm -hmm. pusher in a helpful way Mm -hmm. um, to really kind of be that partner for you. Yeah, I I, I do find having someone outside of someone you already know yeah. uh, to be a bit more of an accountability partner. Yes. Like for example, my husband and I, we try to hold each other accountable for things, but we just let each other slide <laughs> sometimes. So yeah, having that outside person who yeah. doesn't have that that biased perspective of who you are and who knows you, I think that was super helpful. Yeah. Um, let's talk about like finding your career and uh, I want to learn more about you yourself and your career and your experiences there. Um, first in general, Karen, how do you define success in your career? Is it like the title that you have, the amount of money you have, what you're doing? How do you define success? Yeah. So for me and I think others, it changes throughout my life. Like there were times that getting a promotion to get a certain title was super important to me, whether that was competitive, whether that was like peer to peer competition, you know, for whatever reason, but like a title or a promotion was like a status symbol I really wanted. At other times, it was about money because you're maybe earlier in your career and you don't have any money. And so you're just trying to get as much as possible. Currently, it is truly about the satisfaction of making an impact, whether that's, you know, helping people with their careers, helping a company grow, feeling like I'm making some sort of difference. Like I don't need to change the world. I'm not curing cancer in any sense of the Mm -hmm. name, but just helping people navigate this life so they can be the best version and really enjoy what they're doing. That's what success looks like for me. When someone tells me I got that interview, I got that job, I got that promotion, I'm like, yes. And it truly (laughs) makes me happy the rest of the day. Um, So that's what success is for me right now. Um, And then hopefully allowing that to give me you know, a flexibility in my life and be able to focus on, you know, the other important aspects of my life as well. Okay. Yeah. It's very gratifying to be able to help people and yeah, yeah seeing people grow and they coming back and telling you their success stories yes. based on the conversations that you had with them. Um, have you ever felt miserable at a job? I assume you have. Yes. I, I think everyone has. 
Um, can you can you tell me an instance when you were miserable at a job, maybe to the point where you wanted to quit too? Yeah, yeah, and I think this actually ties into part of what you were asking earlier around. You know, there are different aspects of your job, and when people feel stuck or they're miserable or they're feeling successful, it's important to call out sort of what is the thing that's driving that feeling. So mm-hmm. when when you ask the question, the first thing that came to my mind was I was a compensation analyst for actually the big consulting firm. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. It was more a chance to. I had been in sort of like an admin role, admin assistant role for the HR team. This was my chance to like step into a what I thought was a real HR role, get exposure to something else. I was outside of my element. I had a brand new manager who, though had a lot of conversation background, was brand new to the organization. So she was trying to figure out her own navigating of the world. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of crap going on in my personal life that was bringing a lot of baggage to my day-to-day work. And I was miserable and I was failing at it. And it was just bad Mm -hmm. all around. Okay. Um, And the reason why I think that story comes to mind is A, like, I was miserable. I wanted to quit, like all those things that you just asked. But I think it also shows how so many things come into play when you're in the wrong job. Mm -hmm. It was a skill set miss. My manager was a lovely person, but it was a manager, like disconnect. Um, It was, you know, personal stuff going on and we're a whole person. So when stuff is happening in one area of our life, it's going to impact the other area. And luckily, I had built up enough trust and respect in the organization that Instead of either me walking away or quite honestly, like they easily could have fired me because it was going that Mm -hmm. badly. They were (laughs) Uh like, okay, clearly this is different. Like she used to be one thing. This is different. Let's get her back into a situation where she could be successful. And I moved actually into my first training role and I loved it. I was so happy. The manager was awesome. Like everything about it was perfect. And it totally Mm -hmm. changed, you know, my whole life in that moment. Um, And so I think both my own story, but then when I also work with others, I often ask, like, let's kind of break this up a little bit. Yeah, You know, let's talk about your manager. Let's talk about the industry. Let's talk about the actual role. Let's talk about the culture of the company, like all the different things that go into satisfaction in a job so we can pinpoint what isn't Mm -hmm. working. So Mm -hmm. either can we change that piece of it? Or if you're going to make like a whole job or career change, Let's identify where you want to go because you know what's not working today. Mm-hmm. Before this conversation, I was actually on LinkedIn and I saw your post about <laughs> that, like the holistic view yes. of, you know, coaching. It's not just like the career. You talked about the manager, personal yeah. finances, what's happening at home. I, I like how that, you know, you're looking at it at a holistic approach. And that's awesome that the company that you're working for, they didn't think that, okay, Karen, she's she's doing horrible at her job. She needs to, you know, be let go. They actually try to find a fit for you and you were able to find that love for a training development. So that's yeah. awesome there. Um, so it didn't seem like you quit that job right away when you were miserable. Uh, but just in general, how, how do you know when to leave a job? Yeah, I think it really comes down to how much of your time is spent being miserable. <laughs> so, okay. you know, I mean, that's horrible to say, but like everybody has a mm-hmm. bad day or mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. about a job that does not work for you. You know, there was another situation where I was working for a company that was very lovely people, but they were, you know, uh, they were definitely not in the city. And I think I definitely enjoy like the city vibe. Um, they had sort of plateaued as an organization. They were very happy and successful at that stage, but they weren't like actively growing like a tech startup. And so it was kind of like a nine to five job and it was not challenging and it was not a lot of things. And so again, I was trying to think about, you know, like, should I quit? 
I actually ended up using that time to go to grad school because I had sort of the time management flexibility because mm-hmm. my job wasn't that demanding. But but I think it goes back to, you know, is there aspects of your job that you literally cannot stand and it's impacting your satisfaction overall on a recurring mm-hmm. basis? Like if 50% of your week you are spent miserable, unsatisfied, disengaged, that's probably a time when it's it's time to cut the cord. Um, or is it just you're having a bad day or it's one of those things that we talked about that you can change and then having an open conversation with someone in the organization that you trust, a, a mentor, your boss, an HR partner, someone to say like, hey, I'm kind of struggling and trying to figure out, you know, what's the right next step? What advice do you have? How can you help me? Um, okay. But that sort of 50% rule is a good place okay. because, you know, everybody has a bad day, everybody has a bad week, but if it's consistently that mm-hmm. miserable, then that's probably mm-hmm. the time that something's not right. Okay. And in your past experience, Karen, uh, when it comes to people leaving a job, what do you find are the, the reasons why that most people quit? So like for me, for example, I've, I've quit jobs because I wasn't really having growth or ha- wasn't mm-hmm. having challenge. It seems like that happened to you a few times too, or other people like because they're not being paid enough and no one gave them a raise. Uh, yeah. From your experience, why do you, why are people leaving? If you really were to remove all of those um, sort of, and I don't want to use the word surface level to like provide judgment or like negate their feelings, but if you were to kind of dig deeper, it's they don't feel valued Mm -hmm. or they don't feel Mm -hmm. seen or they don't think they're having an impact. And maybe that's because they don't think you're paying them enough. Or maybe it's because they think their manager dismisses them and doesn't have enough time for them or they don't see their career growth. But usually it kind of all comes back to, you know, you don't care about me. I'm not creating value. I don't feel valued. That's like the underlying emotion. Mm -hmm. And then one of those things is the sort of demonstration of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Makes sense there. So everyone has these values, but the way that they get those values met are they have different strategies of getting those values met. May it be money, recognition, or so on. Okay. So let's say that I am an employee I'm miserable at work, Karen. <laughs> I think I want to leave my job. I'm not feeling valued. Um, what should I do or what should I be thinking before I give my notice? Yeah, so this is one thing where I realize this is not possible in every organization. Companies mm-hmm. have different cultures. You know, I, I don't want to like paint this rosy picture of like, oh, go talk to your best friend at HR because we'll mm-hmm. help you with everything. But yeah, hopefully there's someone that you can talk to in the company and share that and say, you know, hey, I'm thinking that maybe I'm coming to my end of my time here. This is what I'm looking for next. I don't see that here do you like agree with that? Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. And, you know, have that conversation. By the way, this also assumes it's like not a toxic environment and it's a place you may want to consider staying. But yeah. that way you can kind of check all those boxes before you make the emotional leap of change of moving. Because the minute you start looking, the minute you give your notice, you have emotionally checked out and there's no mm-hmm. way to sort of save that situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah. if you legitimately would like to stay with your organization, you know, mm-hmm. find someone that you can have that conversation with and see if they can help you navigate a path forward there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the other thing I do suggest to folks is, you know, play the field a little bit. If you're not really sure, go out there and look for some jobs, have some conversations, and either mm-hmm. it will validate that there is something else out there for you that you would prefer. You know, I was at Yodel for almost six years and I loved that company, but there were a couple of times where I popped my head up and kind of took some mm-hmm. conversations. And most okay. of the time I actually said, you know, something I actually have a pretty good here and okay. it's not perfect and this thing bothered yeah. me, but like, 
in general, I'm still really happy here. Mm -hmm. Um, The best piece of advice I can give someone, and I actually was just talking to a coachee about this the other day, is picture yourself accepting an offer, walking into your manager's office or, you know, whatever, getting on a Zoom with your manager Mm -hmm. and saying, I'm quitting and there's nothing you can do to save me. Can you picture yourself having that conversation? How does it make you feel? Does it Mm -hmm. make you like feel guilty and bad? Then maybe you're not ready to leave and there's something Uh, you should be exploring. If you are like, yes, I'm going to Jerry Maguire it and like walk out, (laughs) then you're probably ready to leave. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think that, that, that vision exercise is, is pretty impactful there. Just trying to see how you would feel if there's any guilt behind it or so. Um, Awesome. Awesome. Um, Let's see here. So what about, so you talked about talking to someone at your job, Mm -hmm. depending on the environment to at least talk it out before you actually decide to leave. Um, What do you feel about talking to your manager about it? What's the pros or cons of that? Yeah. I mean, I always hope they can have that conversation with their manager. Um, And by the way, when I say find someone, like I don't mean gossip and complain and like whatever, but like a trusted Mm -hmm. person that you can talk to. Um, But yeah, if if that can be your manager or your HR partner, those are the best people to actually be able to help you um, Mm -hmm. and really talk through the options. Um, Mm -hmm. Hold one second. Do you hear that? That's my dog. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's fine. I love dogs. (laughs) Let the dog be part of the podcast. Okay, great. So, yeah, so if it can be your manager or your your HR partner, they're the best option because they can probably be the ones to help you make a change. Um, You know, the pros of that is that hopefully you have a trusted and safe relationship where you can talk about your career goals. And and by the way, that's the position you're taking. You're not complaining. You're not being negative. You're not just like sort of like vomiting all this stuff on your manager. You're saying, hey, Mm -hmm. as I think about my career goals or what's important to me right now in my life, it's X, Y, and Z. And I'm struggling Mm -hmm. to see that here in my current role, my current company. You know, what are your thoughts? What have you gone through in your career? You know, if I want a path towards this, do you think that's possible here? So like having an open dialogue about it and being sort of solution oriented and like trying to be problem solving together, Mm -hmm. that will lead you to a better outcome. Even if the outcome is... I'm really sorry. Like we just can't offer that here for whatever mm-hmm. reason is, and it's legit. At least yeah. you've had the conversation and now you and your manager can talk about, okay, well, how serious you are about this? Like, mm-hmm. do you need to talk about some sort of transition plan? Is this like a six month thing? So we're fine. You know, the number one question I get is, does that put my job at risk? And at the end of the day, you know, depending on what your timeline is and depending on how that conversation goes in the relationship with your manager, Hopefully mm-hmm. not. And hopefully it's just a conversation, but at least now you're on the same page with your manager. If you do start interviewing, you don't have to lie and like come up with mm-hmm. a dentist appointment. They can be thinking about <laughs> some sort of coverage plan, you know, if uh-huh. you move on. So hopefully that's the way it all calls out. Yeah. Yes. Technically you have now told your manager, you don't see your lifelong dream being at your current company, but, and that's why I'm always, you know, without knowing your culture and without knowing everything, like it's a very, mm-hmm a soft piece of advice because I don't want to like have someone just walk in and then be mad at me because yeah. their, you know, their manager, it didn't go as yeah. planned. <laughs> yeah, I t- totally get what you mean there. I think a lot of it has to deal with um, deal with the trust that you have with yeah. your manager. Like if you have a strong relationship with your manager, it's going to be easier to have those kind of conversations yes. um, and your manager can kind of guide you to figure out, okay, what can we do in the company to help you out? Or the manager can be transparent with you and say, yeah, we have nothing for yeah. you. 
but let me let me find you um you know connect you with someone outside yes. who can help you with your career yeah um, so yeah it definitely goes back to building that relationship with your manager and yeah then go, mm-hmm. and, and that's a great point i mean your manager has gone through a career that may look kind of like yours and mm-hmm. so they either know other people or they can say hey i actually know people who made the switch from a to b let me introduce you and sort of see if that's really where you want to go or if you're looking for a bigger company i know some folks in bigger companies let me make those introductions um and i've always told people and i mean it and i i hope people believe me when i mean it as an hr person i want to have that conversation with you i want to know what's important to you and i would much rather have a very honest conversation if that can happen here or not then either you come in and give two weeks notice and a i actually could have saved you but again once you give notice you're out Mm -hmm. like you're emotionally gone or B, have two weeks to scramble and figure out how to cover yeah. for you because I had yeah. no idea you were at risk. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nice as the HR person or the manager to at least get a heads up yeah. before you make a decision yeah. and give us the chance to do something about it yeah. uh, and, and, and better your experience before you make your final decision. Yes. So last question before we go on to break. With COVID, I know that you know a lot of people were laid off and now looking for jobs again. And there's a lot of jobs out there um, for people now. But um, many times I'm hearing that people are being rejected because the salary mm-hmm. expectations are too high or they're overqualified. So for example, for a while, my sister was looking for a mm-hmm. job. She was a director um, at her role, at her okay. last job. And she's been trying to stay at the director role, mm-hmm. um, but you know she's always being rejected. She finally found a job now, oh, but she for the longest time she was getting rejected because of salary and mm-hmm. also just you're overqualified. They say. Yeah. Um, so, what are your thoughts about that? About being overqualified and for a person who is being rejected for those reasons, what should they be doing? Yeah, it's tough. I actually literally just had this situation happen. I'm hiring on my team at Order Groove, and I had an amazing person apply, and I had a great conversation with her. But this is a junior role, both budget and you know work wise, and so she was way above my budget. And to be honest, like she was overqualified. Like her skill set would be so much more powerful in a different role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I had that honest conversation with her and I, I heard the words coming out of my mouth. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm that person right now. Uh-huh. Um, but what I did offer her is maybe you should be looking for these kinds of roles or maybe you should be looking for these kinds of companies that might have different budgets. Um, yeah. You know, Think about what's actually important to you when you are trying to find a role um, so that you can apply those skills in the best way possible. Um, okay. So, because I think those are some of the biggest things is, you know, the budget piece is legit. Like if I can't afford you, I can't afford you. And I feel mm-hmm. really bad about that. So yeah. that's why I think having that compensation conversation up front is really important. And is if you, the recruiter is not asking you as a candidate, ask up front, like, you mm-hmm. know, these are my expectations or what's your budget, however you feel comfortable bringing it up. But don't mm-hmm. waste your time going through a whole process if you don't know that the comp is aligned. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, you know, from a level or job description standpoint, just really try to position yourself for why you are the right person for that role. And if you are quote unquote overqualified, like what is it about that role you actually want to be doing and why are you excited Mm -hmm. about it when on paper it looks like it's a mismatch? Okay, and being able to verbalize that to the recruiter or the team as well. How about on the flip side, 
um, let's say that you, you are the recruiter, you are the hiring manager, someone wants this role that you're applying to, they know the budget and they're like, no, that's okay. You know, I, I'm, I can take less. I just want to work with you. Yeah, It's a tough situation, right? Because you, you're, you're afraid they may take the job, but then leave like a yeah. few months later until they find another one. Yeah. What do you do in those situations as an HR professional? Yeah. Usually I try to dig into what is it actually about this role or organization that's exciting to you. So maybe they're making a career change. And so they're willing to quote unquote, take a step back because they just want to get their foot in the door. Um, sometimes I'll talk to them about, you don't have to give me names, but talk to me about the other companies or the other kinds of roles you're applying for. And if they describe things that are very similar to us, I'm like, okay, they're mm. serious. Like they really are trying to get into a company like ours or to a role like ours. And they recognize uh -huh. that the comp may be different or whatever. Okay. But if they say, oh, I'm talking to you and I'm talking to Google and I'm talking to Wells Fargo, I'm like, uh, uh -huh. really? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Seeing that comparison. Hi, everyone. I want to take a quick break to tell you a little bit more about feed learning. Feed Learning is a learning and organizational development firm that helps build better teams by offering professional development training courses, coaching, instructional design, and also talent consulting. We have a lot of great training courses such as communicating with empathy, presentation skills, delivering feedback, and also mitigating unconscious bias. To learn more, check us out at feedlearning.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram to get free career development resources. Now back to the show with Karen. All right, Karen, let's talk about diversity. Um, so I know what you look like. I've seen you before, but for the listeners, how would you describe yourself in terms of your race, ethnicity, gender, and so on? Yeah, so I am a white uh, female uh, in my 40s. Um, and even though this is not technically a box that we just discussed, mm -hmm. um, I definitely describe myself as like a New Englander and <laughs> really proud of that heritage, uh, even okay. though I live in New York now. Let's talk about stereotypes. Have you ever felt that stereotypes have ever been placed on you at work based on your identity? It's interesting. I think because HR honestly tends to be more female folks in the in the roles, I have not witnessed it the same way that I know other people have or I've I've helped other people through. I think mm -hmm. there's definitely been microaggressions, you know, hey, can you take notes in this meeting or can you order breakfast or that kind of stuff, especially mm -hmm. with the overlap in HR where some of that's kind of part of our job, sort of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just sort of the, the, the default. But again, I feel very, very fortunate that especially because I've had to either coach people through it like in my internal role or honestly like do investigations into really unfortunate situations i'm very thankful that i have never felt that directly mm -hmm. great great um so it seems like you you've haven't had like a negative impact due to your identity um in your career what about like positive have you ever like received advantages based on your identity in your career yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I think there have been times, and I don't know if this is, you know, characteristics of being a woman or mm -hmm. working with some other really strong women, like my our COO, who I've worked with for 11 years now, mm -hmm. uh, I definitely feel like is a champion of mine. And we definitely have this like, you know, women leadership, boss babe, like mentality. Uh -huh. So maybe she's uh -huh. given me like more flexibility than maybe she would uh -huh. others. I, I don't okay. know. You know, it's hard to say, right? Like when it's working uh -huh. in your favor, you don't always see it True. Um, True. because you don't know if it's because of the work you've done or whatever, because mm -hmm. of that. I do think 
that, and again, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or just my personality or like my upbringing, you know, the fact that I can listen really well. I, I like mm-hmm. to think I can, you know, I lead with empathy. It's, uh, I think some of that has really helped me in my HR career to be a very approachable HR person, mm-hmm. um, not like the scary HR, you know, that you have to deal with or you see in the yeah. movies or like Toby yes. from The Office. Yeah, oh um, gosh. <laughs> so I, I like to think I break some of those like HR stereotypes. And yes. is that because I'm a woman? Who knows? Is it because I'm from mm-hmm. a small town in New England? Who knows? Like, <laughs> it could just be me and my DNA. Um, yeah. I actually wrote a blog article years about years ago about this, about I think it's about identifying what are your strengths for whatever reason and leading into that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wrote about it after the latest Wonder Woman movie came out, like the first one, not the one that came out a year ago mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and, you know, did Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot like create a unique version of Wonder Woman because they themselves are women? And it's the mm-hmm. first time a Wonder Woman movie was, you know, directed by a woman. Who knows, right? But they brought something special to that movie that hadn't been captured in the past. And so I think knowing what your strengths are for whatever reason and leaning Mm -hmm. into those and not, yeah, maybe I get emotional sometimes and maybe that's a characteristic of a woman that people tend to think is negative. Mm -hmm. I think it shows I care. And, you know, so finding those moments I think are really important for folks in whatever way you're identifying Mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, finding your strengths and being confident those are yeah. your strengths. I agree with you where it's like it's hard to determine if your career was positively impacted by your identity. So for example, like one of my last jobs, um, I was doing organizational effectiveness and I got hired and I know that my manager at the time wanted to like increase diversity on the mm. team. So I was like, was I hired because I was Asian or because I knew what I was doing? Yeah. So you, you can't, you don't know, but if you're talking about knowing your strengths and also being confident about your strengths, then that's just something that I have to tell myself yeah. that I was hired for my strengths and the value I can bring. Yeah. So, and, so, and yeah. if you don't mind me asking, you know, yeah. did, did it matter to you? Like, was it a bad thing if it was mm-hmm. uh, also because you were Asian? Mm-hmm. Like, did it impact how you thought about the organization? Um, it, it didn't really impact how I thought. It was more of like a self-confidence thing mm. of, huh, you know, am I, am I good? Or is it just because what yeah, I look like and, and yeah. stuff? That's why. But at the end of the day, hey, I got the job. Yeah. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> not complaining. I learned a lot. It was a great opportunity. So, yeah. yeah. It's so yeah. hard because I think we do... I don't know if it's imposter syndrome. I don't know if it's Mm -hmm. human stuff. I don't know if it's baggage we carry. But I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we do have this issue of, you know, accepting that a good thing is happening to us. Yes. (laughs) And like, I got the job. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to nail this. Like, I know Mm -hmm. I can do this. And, you know, it's important to ask those questions. I'm not saying, like, dismiss it for sure. But Mm -hmm. um making sure that doesn't get in your own way and like saying Mm -hmm. like, but I did get the job. I did get the promotion. I did do this thing really well. I am successful because of what Mm -hmm. I bring to the table. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Having that internal talk with yourself helps (laughs) too. Let's talk about belonging. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you didn't belong at work? And if so, what happened? Yeah, it's interesting. There's actually two situations that come to mind. And by the way, I love that you mentioned the belonging part as well. Mm -hmm. I think especially over the last year or so, we focus so much on the diversity piece, which is Mm -hmm. clearly important. But Mm -hmm. you also need to make sure the inclusion and belonging piece is just as focused on in organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think for me, two times it stood out, um, which again, not sort of the 
typical identifying factors that might make you not feel like you belong. But Mm -hmm. um, many, many years ago, my husband and I were having a lot of financial issues, like Mm -hmm. really bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was in an environment where going out for drinks and having happy hours and traveling for work and like all those things were really kind of expected and required. And I literally Mm -hmm. couldn't afford it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I made some poor choices and paid for that stuff and didn't pay for other stuff Mm -hmm. that I should have been paying (laughs) for. But, um, I really struggled with like, I can't, I don't know how to talk about this. I don't know how to tell my manager, Hey, I can't afford to do this. Or is there Mm -hmm. a corporate card I can use? Um, and so I, it really impacted both my confidence in work and even wanting to show up for that stuff. And, Oh, whoops, I was sick Mm -hmm. that day. I can't make the happy hour. Um, so it definitely impacted me that way. Um, Mm, and then the second time, Um, And again, it's not necessarily like sort of a a typical probably identifier, but actually this last year over COVID, I was one of the only people on our leadership team that I don't have kids. Like we've chosen not to have kids Mm -hmm. in our life. Mm -hmm. Um, Furry babies. Yes. Human babies. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But everybody else on the leadership team does. And so they were trying to figure out remote learning and like having the kids around if they were maybe they weren't even in school like period and mm-hmm. so I saw those stressors and I actually overexerted myself to try to cover for them because I was like you have mm-hmm. kids you do this mm-hmm. I'm the different one here I don't I don't yeah. need to take care of myself because I don't have kids yeah um, and so that was another moment where maybe it's not the best example of belonging but it was definitely mm-hmm. one where I felt different and the way mm-hmm. I dealt with that was yeah oh let me like try to take care of everything for you because you have this other okay. stressor that I don't have ah I see I see yeah it, it, it does uh, tie into that belonging side because it seems like you're the only one who didn't have human yeah. babies yeah. just for <laughs> babies right so miscellaneous questions here let's talk about politics office politics yeah and growing up like when I started my career, I'd hear people be talk about, hey, you need to be politically savvy. And I was like, what does that mean? I, I don't, I'm, I'm not interested in government talk. I don't want to be like, you know, a lawyer or the president or do politics. I didn't get it. Yeah. But now I understand, of course. So how would you define office politics and the skill of being politically savvy at work? Yeah, I think um, one thing to consider is unless it's a toxic political environment, uh-huh. taking the negativity out of it. And it's really more about how do you navigate the organization to get stuff done? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the negative version of that is someone who never listens to you because they only listen to people with a C in front of their title. And mm-hmm. like, that's the negative version of it. Yeah. The, the healthier version is, oh, in order to get things done, I need to make sure this person feels involved or I need to make sure I get feedback from this person or this person understands the role in this decision. Navigating the org and understanding like how decisions are made, who needs to be involved. Mm-hmm. And that all may be healthy political savviness. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of understanding the the level of toxicity around the yeah. politicalness. Um, but I think mm-hmm. it's really more about how are things done and who needs to be involved. Yeah. yeah. Does political savvy have anything to do with hey, I'm going to do something for this person now so that I can get something back in return in the future. Would you call that being uh, manipulative or politically savvy? <laughs> um, a little bit of both. Um, okay. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. also reality, right? Uh-huh, like uh-huh, uh-huh. there's one hiring manager that I have worked with in the past. When they feel like the special unicorn in your life, 
they mm-hmm. are easier to be dealt with mm-hmm. and they yeah. do more and respond faster and that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah sometimes you have to like stroke someone's ego or make mm-hmm. them feel special or do a favor for them. As long as it's not literally like, you know, quid pro quo kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> yes. You know, I think it goes back to like the style and the personality of people, right? Like if mm-hmm. you've done DISC or Myers-Briggs or Strengths Finders or like any of those sort of like personality things, mm-hmm. um, thinking about like what is important to this person and then how do I get a result out of that person? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that can sometimes sound manipulative, but it's yeah. also trying to get stuff done and like yeah. reaching goals and you know all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. too i like how you say it's, it's reality that's, yeah that's it, that's how it works that's it is what it is it's there. a reality in our uh-huh. relationships in our family mm-hmm. like that's uh-huh. just human <laughs> okay okay um and then you, you briefly shared a moment but my next question was like can you share a time how you had to navigate office politics at work and how did it go? What did you learn from it? Yeah. So there was one, um, executive that I worked with. I was their HR business partner and they, at any time they did not agree. So I I can't remember my exact title, but I was like HR business partner, director of talent, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely he was more senior than me on the org chart. Um, mm-hmm. But I was his, supposed to be his partner and everything. And so whenever I challenged him on something, quote unquote, said no or like pushed back or made a different suggestion, if he didn't like it, he would walk out of his office, walk next door to the head of HR's office, talk to mm-hmm. them, walk back and say, OK, well, so and so said this. And I'm like, you wow. mean the exact same words that just came out of my mouth? OK, great. <laughs> OK. Um, so, you know, what... What ended up happening first was, you know, we tried to coach him. We tried to do this. We tried to do that. And at the end of the day, he was just struggling in this is how he worked. Mm -hmm. It might have been like, you know, when you grow up in different companies, if that's how you're taught to be a professional, Mm -hmm. you know, many, many years into your career, it might be hard to change that work style. Even if I think he wanted to, I just don't think he literally knew how. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it came down to sort of a values question around, does he represent the values of this organization, especially at the C-level? Because, by the way, his direct report started behaving that way as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. And because they saw it role modeled. So, of course, they thought they could get away with it. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, as an organization, when you have those moments, navigating it one-on-one as much as possible. But when you are really stuck and cannot figure out a healthy way to work with someone, Mm-hmm. You know, finding your own escalation path and trying to do it together or going to your manager or not, you know, their manager right mm-hmm. off the bat um, yeah. and trying to do it in a respectful way. But it also is not does not have to be the way things work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so last question, in this section before we go lightning round. How do you navigate change in the workplace? I think when we were doing like a prep call, you, you, you mentioned the term inflection point. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I think one thing to always remember about change is that the people who are doing the change plan, you know, like HR, mm-hmm. execs, whatever, you are so in the weeds of it and you know so much more than everyone else in the organization. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember to over-communicate, explain the why, explain how you got to this point, what's actually going to change, what's not going to change, because all you know all of that, but the people you're talking to have no clue. This is the first time they're hearing about it. And in the absence of information, 
everybody, again, human nature, you will fill it in with negative thoughts and bad assumptions and the worst case scenario and all that kind of stuff. So, so really remembering this is the first time someone else is hearing about it and really helping them through the change. Um, and then from the inflection point, you know, there's also this opportunity where even if it's an amazing opportunity for businesses, right? Like change often is a bad, is reflected on as a bad thing and help them through this bad moment. Change mm-hmm. can also be great. You know, we mm-hmm. got acquired, we're launching this brand new product. We have this new partner, like all of these things could be good, but it's still a difference within the business. And so as the employee, I may ask myself, do I want to keep going on this ride? Do I want to be, you know, I liked being part of a smaller company. I liked being part of a B2B company. And now we're going to be mm-hmm. B2C. I liked doing this. I like doing that. And so it's an inflection point for the individual as well to think about, even if I agree and I'm happy for this, is it still what I want to do? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the other part of change management is besides the communication and like literally what is happening, then working one-on-one with the people that are impacted and ask, you know, help them through, is this going to be still the right thing for you? This is yeah. a development opportunity. Are you excited about it? Let's talk through it. And so mm-hmm. there's that personal change as well. Yeah. I find that a lot when there's change that companies don't over-communicate. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of times uh, leadership or HR, they may assume that, okay, the, the, the employees are in the organization. They know what's going yeah. on, which they clearly don't. They are focusing on their own world. Yes. Um, so that over-communication piece is, is super important yeah. there. But I like how he also talked about how not only over-communicate, but you sit one-on-one with like each individual and see, hey, is this change the right change for you? Yeah. And if so, what can we do? What about from like the perspective of the employee who is part of this change mm-hmm. and like the, the organization is changing? Um, and let's say that HR or the leadership team, no one came up to you and talked about the change and you are lost and you're having all these negative assumptions. Um, What should you do in those situations? I think earlier you talked about, you know, ask ask yourself, is this the change that you want and stuff? Yeah, what can you do there? Yeah, I think sometimes, um, and I get it, that it is easy to feel like things are happening to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's a moment where you actually take control of the situation and raise your hand to someone and say, hey, I don't feel like I understand what's going on or Mm -hmm. I don't know how this is going to impact me. I've got questions. And again, Mm -hmm. I'm saying it a little sassier than maybe you should, but like, (laughs) Uh it's okay to speak up. If you Mm -hmm. feel lost, you need to ask someone because the Mm -hmm. more you're lost, the more you'll spin and the Mm -hmm. more disengaged you'll get, the more negative you'll get. And uh, Mm -hmm. we all go down a horrible path. So if you feel like something is missing or you have questions or you don't understand how this is going to impact you, or if it's not going to impact you, like, is your day-to-day still the same? Ask someone, you know, you are in control mm-hmm. of your life. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way, um, mm-hmm. but you are actually in control. And so raise your hand, ask questions, and then make the decision, is this right for me? And um, you also, I think the other thing that I try to remind people is you need to go through the process. Like it, it's like grief, right? Like go through the process, go through uh-huh, the different stages, uh-huh. but at some point get out of the cycle and either say, okay, I've accepted this and I'm going to go with the roller coaster ride and I'm in it or mm-hmm. I've accepted it, but it's not for me and I'm going to step out. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the worst situation is someone who's in that cycle in their head and they can't let something go and they've spun into a negative space And now all of a sudden HR and your manager are talking to you about like a performance plan or like something negative because you were just trying to like cycle through something. So give yourself some space and give yourself some time. But at some point, make that choice of I'm either in or I'm not. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and remembering that you're you are in control of your yes. own career and, and development there. Um, okay, so let's go with some quick questions for a lightning round, and then we'll end it with career advice. What was your very first job, and how old were you? I was a babysitter um, at about actually ten or eleven, which probably is way too young. What did you want to be when you grew up? When I was really young, I wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, huh. I thought space exploration was so cool. And then when I sort of like gained a little maturity, I thought either a teacher or psychologist. What college did you go to and what was your major? I went to Elon College, which is now Elon University down in North Carolina. Um, and okay. I was a theater major and an English minor. Were you ever considered as a smart kid in class? I am not naturally smart. I have to work uh-huh. really hard. So mm-hmm. like I would spend five hours on homework and I'd get the A. My brother yeah. would spend 30 minutes on it and get the A. What do or did your parents do for work? So my mom was a teacher. Um, she was a nanny. She held some part-time jobs like as a waitress. She, re- she was the one that floated to do whatever career made sense so she could help mm-hmm. you know raise us and give us uh, sort of what we needed. Um, uh-huh. We also had my grandmother who lived with us. So they kind of like worked in tandem to make sure we weren't a total mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my dad, he had a couple of different titles, but he worked actually in uh, food distribution. And he did everything from general management and training and facilities and like Six Sigma kind of uh, supply management stuff. What did your parents want you to be? I have to give them so much credit because they always supported me. So when I was a stage manager, that was cool. When I moved totally across the country at 24, that was cool. (laughs) Like with no Uh job, by the way. I didn't have a job when we moved to LA. We were going to figure it out. So they've always been so, so, so supportive. So they never said you have to be this. They said you have to take care of yourself and like be smart Mm -hmm. about it. But otherwise, like, figure out what's right for you. And so I I give them a lot of credit because I never, I don't Mm -hmm. have any memories of, like, feeling I had to do something. I had to be responsible. What that looked like could be open-ended. If money wasn't an issue, Karen, and you could be anything you wanted to be, what would it be? This is going to sound lame. So I really would do the coaching. <laughs> like, <laughs> Nerd. Um, I, know. I think the only other thing I would do is I would buy like a farm or a ranch somewhere uh-huh. and have it be a foster home for animals that are in between like finding their forever homes. When you're on Zoom meetings or just webinars, do you typically dress up the full body or just wasting up? Totally wasting up. I'm, I'm absolutely wearing yoga pants and slippers right now. <laughs> Favorite TV show? In the past, it's always been the Golden Girls. Like that's a go-to constantly. Last question, Karen. What is something you wish you learned how to do? I think it's to take care of myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm always taking care of others at the detriment of myself and not speaking up for what I need. And so, you know, if I could go back to my 18-year-old self or shoot, even my 30-year-old self, Uh I'd say like, speak up for what you need, take care of you. You don't have to be doing this all by yourself. You don't have to be perfect, Mm -hmm. like all Mm -hmm. of those sort of things. Okay. Is that something like an internal dialogue you are are having with yourself even today? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I went and got my nails done for the first time (laughs) post-COVID. And I was like, oh, but, you know, I really should be doing this. I really should be doing this. Like, (laughs) no, it was February 2020. You can go spend an hour and a half getting your nails done. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Karen, let's end it with career advice. Um, What is your advice for someone who wants to grow and develop their career? 
Yeah, I think it's um, figuring out what you want to do next and why. So, you know, I I actually work with a lot of new managers. And the first question I ask of them is, why did you want to become a manager? Because I think some people feel like, oh, it's the thing I was supposed to do. And that's the thing that's mm-hmm. going to get me to the next level. And there are some yeah. folks that don't want to be managers and that's okay. So, you know, whatever you're targeting next, you know, why is that important? What is it about mm-hmm. it that you want to actually do? Um, mm-hmm. So, because that will either help you create the path to get there more successfully or mm-hmm. set you up for success once you actually have that new uh, promotion or job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Figuring out the why is always important too. What advice would you give to someone who feels stuck in their career? What steps can they take? Yeah. I think it's really doing, and I know this, people get a little frustrated sometimes. They're like, no, no, no. I want to make a change. I'm like, right. But before Mm -hmm. you make a change, you have to figure out what you want to change. Mm -hmm. And so you have to do some of that self-reflection work up front. You know, Mm -hmm. we talked about it uh, in the first segment, you know, manager, company, culture, industry, job. Like, why are you feeling stuck? Let's really dig in because the only way to actually make a change is to identify what you need to change. And Mm -hmm. so let's do the work up front to figure that out. And then Mm -hmm. we can help you actually take the steps and put together an action plan and all those things that you want to do. Yeah. But you'll you'll actually get to where you want to be if you do the work up front. Can you share like some examples of questions that you would typically ask yourself to figure out, you know, where or why to change? Yeah. So um, there's a couple of different worksheets that I tend to work, uh, tend to use with Mm -hmm. folks. One is, um, you know, the going back into like the last time you felt successful, the last time you Mm -hmm. felt happy, the last time you felt engaged, the last time you were proud of the work that you did. Um, It's because that starts to reveal some themes around things that are important. Um, and then there's another one, and that's really just a brain dump, right? Like, just get it all out on paper. Um, yeah. You know, we describe a perfect day, like, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then another version is actually taking all those different elements and describing what is it like today? What do you like about it today? What do you wish was mm-hmm. different? And then on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your satisfaction? Like, on average, given a week. Mm-hmm. And then on a scale of 1 to 10, how is it, how important that is that to you? Yeah. Um, and then when you sort of map all that out, some things start to show up. So mm-hmm. yeah. I think really reminding yourself of when you've been happy and successful and fulfilled and mm-hmm. all those things and then evaluating where you are today and what, yeah. what would you want to change. Yeah, I like that. Just like different vision exercises to yeah. see where where and when were you happy or not so happy and yeah. kind of figure out what the themes were there. What about for HR professionals? Yes. So what is your advice for HR professionals who want to grow their career? Yeah, and I think this has been a really big topic over the last year because HR professionals mm-hmm. have had to step into places they were not expecting uh, during mm-hmm. a global pandemic, social unrest, racial injustice, like political yeah. environments. Um, so I think it is thinking through, you know, what parts of your job do you enjoy the most? It's why I would always, you know, I was a generalist and then I did training. I was a generalist and then I did ops. You know, it's sort of, mm-hmm. it's building your career. For me, it was building towards understanding sort of the whole suite of things so I could become an HR leader one day. Um, mm-hmm. For other folks, they really enjoy solving problems and like really digging deep into something. And so maybe that's like, people analytics because you're pulling the the data out and like finding the Mm -hmm. story so so really thinking about what skills do you have that you like using skills that you're good at does not mean you like doing them yeah skills that you're that you like using um Mm -hmm. and then how you want to make an impact uh you know within your organization and where you think those skills could be best used Mm -hmm. um 
if it's okay, uh, we're actually for a shameless plug. Um, we're actually doing a workshop later in June, specifically targeting mm-hmm. HR folks with their yeah, development. Yeah. Um, so I'll have a link on my website and stuff once it's up this week. Um, but yeah, a woman who specifically coaches HR folks is going to join mm-hmm. me, and we're going to talk about HR development because I think this whole year has made HR folks think very differently about their yeah. careers. Yeah, shameless plug. Yeah. Let's go ahead and plug you. Uh, so, so last question here: Where can people find you? So, I know you have you have your own um, coaching um, side business, yeah. and also you have your own podcast. Yeah. Tell me more. Where can people find you and hear from you? Yeah, absolutely. So, from a thought leadership standpoint, the podcast is called "Getting Off the Hamster Wheel." Um, it is stories of people who actually made those career changes or had a revelation of you know a side gig gives them that fulfillment, and so their nine to five can just be sort of nine to five, and so everybody kind of has a different version of how they found that fulfillment in their career. Um, and then many episodes in between of like actionable things you can do from the advice given from the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, I self-published a book a few years ago about giving feedback. And so that's a, on Amazon. It's called Setting the Stage. Um, and it's nice. a guide for managers on how to give feedback. And then really everything ties back to um, my website, which is definitely focused on the coaching, which is just karendweeks.com. Um, coaching on Instagram with uh, career changers, KDW with the underscores in between. Um, but LinkedIn is an easy place. Uh, it's a little bit of everything and it's just Karen D weeks on LinkedIn. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And then I'm going to get all the resources that you shared and I'll put it on the show notes as well so that people can find you. And then uh, also post uh, some of these uh, discussions that we had on LinkedIn as well. So people can see your face (laughs) and everything as well. So Karen, that's all we had for today. I want to thank you so much for chatting with me and nerding out about career, learning and development. I will continue stalking you from a distance. (laughs) Um, Hopefully, you know, after this whole pandemic is over that we can actually see each other in person. Oh my gosh, that'd be so nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that wraps the show. Thanks again for listening to Feed Learning People podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and follow us on LinkedIn for more career development resources or Instagram for behind the scenes work. See you later. Bye.